What's going on, Valley Christian Church? It's great to see you guys here today. I'm Stephen Francis, the campus pastor of the Poughkeepsie campus. Excited to be here with you for week three of our series, Thrones, Who's on the Throne of Your Heart? This is a series based off the book of Judges. And last week we spent some time in Judges chapter three, learning about how we can have a life that is better than we pictured. Today's message is gonna be focusing on what happens in Judges four and Judges five. But before we get into that, we're actually gonna have a little fun, so let's talk for a little bit. Something that you guys should know about me, if you don't know already, is I'm a very huge fan of movies. Very big fan of movies. Actually used to want to be an actor before I became a pastor. One of the quickest ways my wife gets to my heart is when she invites me to watch a movie. I am that into movies. And somebody asked me the other day, what makes a great movie? What does it take, in your opinion, for a movie to be good? Is it the plot, because you have to have a great storyline? Is it the actors that play the characters so everything seems convincing? Or is it even the visuals so people are captivated and focused on what's happening in front of them on the screen? My answer to them was actually none of that. My answer was the music. I believe the music to a movie is very important for a movie to be great because not only can it help make an, a, a certain scene seem more intense or more comical, but also you can hear a song that comes from a movie and you will always attach that song to what happened in that movie from there on out. So to help prove a point, to get you all on my side, I want to play for you a famous clip. I believe this is one of the best opening scenes ever for a movie, but we're going to watch it without any music. So for your entertainment, let's look at this clip here together. It's like awkward <laughs> to watch that opening scene of The Lion King with no music whatsoever. Music is so important. And anybody here that has watched that movie knows how epic that opening song is, right? So guys, let's have some fun today. Let's actually watch that clip again, an extended version of that clip, but with the music for your enjoyment. Let's go ahead. It becomes such an incredible scene with the music. The music changes everything, which is why I think music is just such an important part to making a great movie. But I see a lot of your faces right now, and you're wondering, Pastor Stephen, 
what does any of this have to do with the book of Judges? Today we're focusing on Judges chapter 4 and 5, and like I said, this is an interesting type of story because in Judges chapter 4, we hear a great story, one that I believe is almost a movie-worthy tale. And then we see Judges chapter 5, and Judges chapter 5 is actually a song that was inspired by what happened in Judges chapter 4, and because of that, they are always tied together. So with that in mind, we're going to look at both the story and the song that we see in the book of Judges, and we're going to figure out what things in this story do we want to apply to our own lives and what things do we want to pass on, which is why we're calling today's message, Pass or Play. Now, there's a lot of characters in this story of Judges chapter 4, so in the spirit of movies, since I'm already talking about it, I figured to help us keep track of who's who, we're going to actually use some famous movie actors to depict the characters we see in this story. So last week we talked about Judges chapter 3, and in Judges chapter 3 we had a character named Ehud, who was the left-handed savior. He saves the people of Israel from King Eglon, and peace is given to Israel for 80 years. Now in Judges 4, Eglon has died. The people of Israel have gotten back into idolatry and sinning in certain ways. And because of that, God has punished them by sending them into brutal captivity once again by a king named Jabin. And we're going to have King Jabin played by Anthony Hopkins. King Jabin wasn't just an evil king, but he also had an evil war general that accompanied him. And his name was Sisera, who will have played by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> Sisera was a bad general, not just because he was evil, but also his army consisted of 900 chariots. The people of Israel didn't have any chariots, so it felt like they were trying to fight a bunch of tanks with only their small missiles, and, uh, excuse me, small swords trying to get victory. So Sisera seemed unstoppable along with Jabin. So the people of Israel begin to call out to God to send a rescuer, to send a savior once again. And God sends them a woman named Deborah. And we'll have Deborah played by who I believe to be one of the best female actresses of all time, Meryl Streep. It's a very ugly picture of Meryl Streep. But nevertheless, she is Deborah. Deborah was a wise counselor and prophetess over the people of Israel. People came from far and wide to visit Deborah to get counsel from every, everything from home issues to legal issues. So God picks Deborah to be the person to help save Israel, but Deborah knows that she can't do it by herself because she is not a warrior. So she recruits a man named Barak who will have played by Chris the Thor Hemsworth. She tells Barak that he needs to get an army of 10,000 soldiers that can go to war against Sisera and his 900 chariots. Barak says, okay, I'll do what you ask, but I'm only going to go if you go with me because you hear the voice of God and I can't. She says, okay, I will go with you, but because I'm going with you, the victory is ultimately going to go to a woman. Barak is okay with that, so they go off to get 10,000 soldiers from the people of Israel. While this is happening, there's a subplot that happens in Judges chapter 4 with a man named Heber and his wife, Jael, who will have played by Idris Elba and Kerry Washington. You guys still with me? Stay with me. So, 
Heber and Jael are not Jews. They're actually from Egypt, but they are people that worship the God of the Jews. They decide to move to a place in Israel called Zenonim. Now, we don't know why they moved to a place called Zenonim, but Zenonim is actually very close to where Sisera and the people of Israel are going to do battle. So we go back to Barak, Jael, excuse me, we go back to Barak, Deborah, and Sisera, and a battle commences between their 10,000 soldiers and his 900 chariots. The 10,000 soldiers begin to destroy the 900 chariots, and Sisera, out of fear of losing his life and the embarrassment of losing in this battle, decides to run away from the battle and ends up in the place called Zenonim, the same place where Heber and Jael live. He goes into the house where Jael and Heber live. Heber is at home, but Jael is, and he notices that these people are not Jews. So he tells Jael, hey, listen, don't tell anybody I'm here, and also give me something to drink. So Jael decides to give Sisera a nice glass of milk and a blanket to comfort himself. He ends up drinking the milk and falls asleep on the floor. Jael, once again, not being a Jew, but worshiping the God of the Jews, sees that Sisera is an enemy of the people of Israel and decides to take action. So she finds, lying somewhere in her house, a very large tent peg and a hammer. She grabs the tent peg and the hammer, and while Sisera is sleeping, she places the tent peg on the temple of Sisera's head, and with the hammer, smashes it into a skull, killing Sisera. Barak later on goes looking for Sisera, finds Sisera dead at Jael's house. Jael gets the victory for killing Sisera. They later on kill Jabin, and peace is restored to Israel once again. So there's a lot of things that are happening here, and this is a pretty violent story, but there's actually a few things from the story that we can apply into our own lives. The first thing that we can apply, and it's the first thing in your notes if you're following in the Valley app or if you're taking traditional notes, the first thing we see is that we need a vision with a mission. You see, God gives this role to Deborah to be the judge over the people of Israel so that they can be saved, but Deborah doesn't have the warrior abilities to save Israel, so she finds someone who can do it by recruiting Barak. Barak is a great and awesome warrior, but Barak doesn't have the ear of God the same way that Deborah has, so they decide to work together. Both of these people are Jews, so God, knowing that Sisera would escape and try to hide somewhere, God picks someone who isn't a Jew to end up finally taking down Sisera, and together all of them play a part in bringing peace to the people of Israel. A lot of people, but all had a different role. I believe each and every person in here is part of a story that God is trying to tell. And he, everybody in here also has a role that he is given. Your role today could be uh, to be a married person. Your role today could be to be single. Your role today could be employed or a full-time student. But wherever you are in your life right now, that is the role that God wants you to play. And with that role that he's given you, he's also given responsibilities that come with that role. One of the roles that I play now in my life is a husband to my wife, Jasmine. And before we got married, we did something called blue jobs, pink jobs, and purple jobs. 
It was us sitting down during our engagement stage, and we figured out when we get married, what responsibilities are there that need to be done, and who is going to take charge over those responsibilities. The blue jobs were given to me, the pink jobs were given to her, and the purple jobs were things that we can share and do together. Some of the blue jobs that I have are things like taking out the trash and mowing the lawn. Some of my wife's pink jobs are doing the cooking and shopping for groceries. And a lot of people may think that that's very gender stereotypical roles. But in reality, these roles have been put in place for us because we know that if, if we want this marriage to work, certain people have to be in charge of certain things. I know my wife does have the ability to take out the trash, but she's not gonna. <laughs> because she doesn't like to touch the trash. She even has the ability to mow the lawn, but she also has extremely bad allergies. My wife coughs and sneezes just looking outside the window when we wake up in the morning. So she may be able to mow the lawn, but she may not make it by the time she finishes mowing it. I, on the other hand, I could also do the shopping for the groceries, and I could also even do the cooking. But due to my level of current cooking ability, majority of our meals would consist of varieties of cereals, <laughs> like Cap'n Crunch and cornflakes, part of your balanced breakfast. So needless to say, it's better for us to not just have our roles and have our responsibilities. And that's not new knowledge. Everybody here knows they have a role to play. Everybody here knows they have responsibilities that come with that role. But many of us have started to feel stuck in those roles and those responsibilities. You may be someone in here right now where you've been single and you've been single for so long that things like loneliness and desperation have started to sink in. And because of that, now when you get a relationship or you have an opportunity for, for a relationship, you always act married with someone you're not actually married with. You may be someone in here today who feels that, you know, you're married and marriage just isn't as great as you originally thought it was going to be. So now you're starting to think maybe it would be better to be married to somebody else or maybe just not be married at all. And it's cause for you to do the bare minimum in your relationship to keep it going while also thinking and looking at people and things in ways you didn't used to and know that you shouldn't. You may be someone who is unsatisfied with where you are in life, maybe with your job, career, maybe just where you live. Uh, but because you've been stuck there for so long, it's caused you to starting to feel bitterness and resentment, and you're no longer optimistic like you used to be that things are going to change. That's what happens when you feel stuck in your role and your responsibilities. But the thing that many of us are missing that can propel us is a vision for our lives. A vision, according to Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says that a vision, without a vision, the, the people cast off restraint. Another way that you can say that is that with a vision, the people flourish, the people prosper. And by vision, I mean this definition that came from Andy Stanley. A vision is a clear mental picture of what could be, fueled by the conviction that it should be. Having a vision for your life lets you know that there is something better out there for you and that you will be able to attain it. But you can't just have the vision of something better. You need to have a mission that causes you to build strategy in order to get from where you are to where you want to be. 
This is exactly what Deborah does in Judges chapter 4. Once again, she's given the role of the deliverer with the vision to see the people of Israel saved, but she needed to carry along a mission by recruiting certain people in order to make that mission possible and that vision a reality. So we need to be sure that we are people of a vision with a mission. But there's also another thing that we learn here from this story in Judges. And that comes from Judges chapter 5. And this is our second point here today. That we need to be a better at being a contributor than a consumer. In Judges chapter 5, we see Deborah making a song celebrating everything that God has done in Judges chapter 5. She gives praise for how God orchestrated everything and how he's worthy of all glory and all honor and praise for saving the people of Israel. And then she gives shout outs to all the people that were involved. She gets a shout out to Barak for the way that he fought so bravely. A shout out to the 10,000 soldiers, calling the soldiers princes for the way that they fought so boldly. And then also gives a big shout out to JL, calls JL the most blessed among women because of the way that she killed Sisera, which is interesting. Because if I ever heard of somebody that killed somebody else with a tent peg, I just think they're crazy. But nevertheless, I didn't write the song, so Deborah can say about JL whatever that she wants. But during this song where she's celebrating God and she's giving thanks to all the people that contributed, she suddenly has a change of tone starting in Judges chapter 5, verse 17. And she says this, Gilead remained east of the Jordan, and why did Dan stay home? Asher sat unmoved at the seashore, remaining in his hands. Let the people of Moroz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed because they did not come to help the Lord. That's some, that's some very strong language for these people that didn't come to help the people of God. But this is not actually the first time we've seen somebody be so angry about a situation like this. The first time we see this is in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. Now, for anybody here that doesn't know the story of Genesis chapter 3, let me give you the quick 2016 summary of what happened. So, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he makes this man and woman named Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a place called the Garden of Eden. He tells Adam and Eve, hey, listen, you guys have a blast. You guys can do whatever you want. Have a ball. You can ride the animals if you want to. You can pet them. They don't bite. Have a blast. But hey, listen, there's a tree over here called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Can you do me a favor and not eat of that tree? Otherwise, you die. Other than that, I'm out. So God goes back to heaven, and he leaves Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're having a blast. They're having a good time. They're probably riding the animals and everything, just living life. And suddenly a serpent comes up to Eve one day and says, Yo, Eve, that tree over there of the knowledge of good and evil actually looks really good. I think you should try it, but I heard you weren't allowed to touch or eat of it. Eve tells the serpent, Chill, bruh, listen. God told us not to eat of that tree, otherwise we would die. And the serpent says back to Eve, listen, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Matter of fact, God is a hater. You should go ahead and eat of that tree. And by the way, you only live once, girl, YOLO, do it. So the serpent, <laughs> the serpent goes away. 
And Eve looks at the tree, and then she's like, you know what? Actually, that tree does look really good. So she takes the fruit of the tree, she eats it, and then she gives it to Adam. And Adam, being the good husband that I'm sure he was, ate what she fed him. So they eat of the fruit, they realize they sinned, God comes back to earth, and he calls Adam out and says, Adam, all of this is your fault. And that always confused me as a kid because I don't understand why he's yelling at Adam when Eve was the one that was tempted by the serpent. Eve was the one that picked the fruit first and ate it first, and then she gave it to him. If anything, the person that should be responsible is Eve. But when you actually read Genesis 3 in the original language, you see that in reality, Adam was standing next to Eve the entire time. God was angry at Adam the same way that Deborah was angry with these people here in Judges chapter 5. Because when they were called to action, when they had a responsibility over their lives, they decided to do nothing. I believe that before there was ever a sin of doing something wrong, there was a failure for man to do anything, period. And we should notice here that Deborah isn't shaming these people because they were doing something bad. She's not saying these people were hanging out, smoking dope, committing crimes, and all those other type of things. They were simply just inactive. And I think us in here in this church, I love each and every one of the people that come to Valley Christian Church. And I think there's a lot of people that have either grown up in the church or have had good upbringings, whatever your walk of life is. But there's a lot of people that kind of feel like they figured it out when it comes to Christianity. They know I shouldn't do these type of sins. And if I don't do these type of sins, then I'm a really good Christian. But in reality, I don't think our temptations sometimes are to do the really big sins like uh, unmarital sex and violence and drugs. But I think our biggest temptation for us as Christians is just to do nothing when God has called us to action. You know what I believe the most dangerous thing for a Christian to do? is to only attend church. I think even the enemy likes it when you only attend church. Because that's fine. But it's when you start to apply the word of God that you hear into your own life. It's when you start to invite people to church. It's when you start to serve and create opportunities for more people to come to church. That is when you become an enemy of the devil. That is when you start to actually do kingdom expansion for the Lord. So the devil tries to get us bogged down by us thinking that we're too busy, we're too caught up, and it's better for someone else who has that time and has that capability to do the things that God has already asked us to be doing ourselves. And this brings me now to my third point that we see in the story of Judges, that we need to be people that avoid self-deception. Self-deception is when we tell ourselves a lie that validates and excuses our mindset. And each and every one of us have come across someone at some point that gave us an extremely bogus excuse. But what blew our minds even more was not just the excuse, but the fact that they actually believed it. 
I think one of the people that deal with this on a regular basis are married people, excuse me, parents in here, married people, parents. When it comes to parents, I always remember the things that I would tell my parents as an excuse for why I did and do not do something that was right. One story particularly comes to mind. You see, I'm one of four siblings. I have two older sisters that are way older than me, and I have one younger sister that's only two years younger than me. So my parents would always let my older sisters babysit me and my younger sister. And my older sisters always had that babysitting method where you just kind of sit in another room and let the other kids play in somewhere else. You just kind of listen to hear if everything's okay. And I remember one day me and my sister were playing around and having fun, and I decided that I wanted to be a barber. See, my sister had two big ponytails that made her look like Minnie Mouse on the top of her head. And I decided to sit my sister down, and I cut one of those ponytails clear off her head. And my excuse was, listen, Mom and Dad said we had company coming over, and we need to look as best as we can be. So I think we should get haircuts so we look presentable. My sisters came into the room. They realized what I did, and I'll never forget the look on my mother's face when she came home to see one of my sister's ponytails on the top of her head <laughs> and the other one in her hand. And I remember she told me, my mother told me, Stephen, why would you do something like this? What is your reason? And I told her the same thing I told my sister. I was like, Mom, I heard we was having company coming over. I figured she could look a little bit more presentable, so I decided to give her a haircut. She don't look good, though? Like, you don't like the job? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> my mother later on blessed me with the ministry of hands that night. But I learned that day that what I considered a valid excuse was actually foolishness in the eyes of my parents. And I think the same way a lot of younger kids try to have an excuse to their parents for why they do the things that they do, many of us try to have an excuse to God for why we don't do the things that he's called us to do, and God looks at it with that same level of foolishness. There's so many people that come to God and they say, God, you know, I would be pure, but it's 2016 and I'm only human and my hormones are raging, so God, what do you expect me to do? There's people that are married and, and they have kids and they, they, they're supposed to spend more time with them, but they tell God, God, you know, they keep asking me to spend more time with them and to be more with them, but someone's got to pay the bills around here, God. Someone's got to put the food on the table so they should understand when I come in late. They should understand when I don't want to talk because I've had a long day. God, they need to adjust more to my schedule than me adjusting to their needs. There's some people in here today where you feel because of what God has put, put on your heart to be more active and involved in the, in the lives of people or at church. You feel like, you know what, God, I, I would come to church on a Sunday morning to serve, but you know I'm not a morning person. You know I would help out this person, but you know I'm busy and I'm caught up. Maybe if you just sent somebody else that, that could do it, that would be great. But listen, you know my heart. You know uh, uh, I'm, I, they're in my heart and mind, but I just can't put out that work to help them. The same excuses that these people might have had 
in Judges chapter 5 are the excuses that we have each and every day of our lives. So a question now comes, how do we make sure that we avoid being those people that we hear in Judges chapter 5 and more like the brave and awesome heroes that we see in Judges chapter 4? The first thing that we got to do is we need to let God be our director. This series is called Thrones, Who's on the Throne of Your Heart? And instead of thinking of a throne, I want you to think of more of a director's chair. And that director is trying to bring you to a place that you can never be by yourself. He's trying to tell a story that has amazing details and awesome miracles that are all along the journey. And that should be God. But what many of us do instead is we make ourselves the directors of that chair with our limited ability and our limited view of life and the future and then get upset when life doesn't play out the way that we expected it to be. Making God the director of our life not only makes him in control, and by the way, Romans 8.28 says this, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So there was power when God is the, 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 the director of our lives because of what he's able to do. But also he gives us a role to play, responsibilities, and he can also help give us a vision a vision for where he wants us to be, a vision for how to love our spouse, to how to find a great relationship, uh, to how to get the career that we're looking for. God has all of that already mapped out for us. All we have to do is follow his direction. But the second thing that we have to do is we need to create a mission that complements the vision. It's important to know God's role in your life and to have a vision of where he wants you to go but that's just the first step. We need to have strategies in order to get us from where we are to where we need to be. The mission is the strategy. And it can be something from if you want to have a more intimate relationship with your spouse to do things like to always keep dating your spouse, to always have opportunities of date nights, to always have opportunities to talk and see how each other are doing, to be close to one another. Maybe you have a vision for your child to grow up and to live a, a, a godly life, and maybe you want for them to be well-educated and to find another Christian person. Part of your mission that goes with that vision is finding them a great education, extracurricular activities, bringing them to church 24-7, Valley Kids, whatever, wherever age group they're in, but helping them get to those places so they can find, so they can be in that vision that you've, they've been called to be in. My wife and I, we try to do this type of stuff. We like to have, our, my vision for me and my wife is to have a fun-filled relationship together. So we do a lot of things. Recently, we did zip lining and we're going uh, kayaking soon, which is extremely ironic because I am both scared of heights and cannot swim. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm doing, doing either. But either way, it's part of the mission for the vision of us having a happy, healthy marriage together. And for you, it may be different. For you, you may have a different mission to go with your vision, but nevertheless, it's one to have. And the last thing that we need to do is we need to be sure that we enjoy the journey. What I love so much about Judges chapter 5 is that it shows that God did something amazing in the lives of the people of Israel and that they decided to stop and celebrate what God has done. 
we can be so busy, we can be so caught up in trying to get to where we're going, that God does great things, God blesses us in major ways. Instead of us fully taking the time to take it in and enjoy it and thanking him, we're instantly moving on to the next thing we have to do. I think we can learn something from Judges chapter 5 and saying we need to just take the time just to celebrate the wins. Just to celebrate what God has done for us, what God has done for our family. And taking that time, maybe it's a Sunday morning, maybe it's just a time in prayer where we just say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the amazing miracles that are happening. And God, could you please give me the grace to go to the next thing that you want me to do? You're my director. Show me where to go. And when we do that, we are best able to not only be refreshed for the roles that God has given us, but we also show a better reflection to him in the sense of gratitude. So with all that said today, I want to close. I want to ask this question. Will you pass on the role that God has asked you to play? Once again, God is the director of our lives, and he has a great and incredible vision for us to be a part of. And when we take the role that he has for us and we take along the vision and we create that mission, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask or think. But we need to be willing to play that role and to be that person. And don't be like many people that are caught up in the idea of being just a consumer living life as it comes and then also have an excuse for why they're not doing that which God has called them to do. So my prayer today for each and every one of you guys that you will not pass, but you will play in the role that God has given you. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you for this awesome day. I thank you for each and everything you've done in the lives of your people. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the roles that you have for us. I thank you that there are no small roles. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's nothing minuscule that you have, but, Father, everything that you do is big and miraculous and marvelous. And, Father, we give our hearts to you today and ask for you to be the director of our lives. We don't know how everything's going to work. We don't know what your plan is, but we trust in your plan, knowing that it has to be something better than whatever we've cooked up for ourselves. Take away the excuses. Take away the self-deceptions. Take away the things in our lives that cause for us to think that we've made it. Our Father, that we don't need you. Our Father, someone else is more fit. Father, help us to do what you call us to do and let us see the fruit for it. And Lord, in all of our lives, let when people see it, they see how great is our God and that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we believe that these things are done now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.